Episode 2 of District Divided. Welcome back, everybody. I am your host, Amit Singh. My co-host, Max, unfortunately, is not here and will not be here. Uh, He's got some life happenings right now, so he will be unable to co-host with me for the time being. But rest assured, he is fine and we'll be having him back on the podcast, obviously, as much as we possibly can. Um, But yeah, so that is what's going on right now. We're going to get into the State of the Union in just a moment. We are going to have a deep dive on the Georgetown Hoyas with one of my good buddies and a season ticket holder for the Hoyas. And then we're going to get to my DC Mount Rushmore. And so that's going to be my four DC players, one from baseball, one from football, one from basketball, one from hockey that make my top four DC player list. And without further ado, we're going to get straight into the State of the Union. You know, I wonder what Max is up to right now. Actually, that's just, that just goes for everybody. Let me know what you think Max is up to right now. Just feel free to leave a comment on the post, and uh, let's see what all we can come up with. But getting straight into it, let's start with hockey this time. We did basketball last time. Washington Capitals had a three-game road trip last week, and here's how it went. It started off in Colorado. Went down 2-0 in the first period. Even Andre Burakovsky scored against us, former cap. But we end up turning it around. We end up winning 3-2 with goals from Backstrom, Tommy Wilson, TJ Oshie, game winner, baby. 2-0-4 left in that one. We win 3-2. Then we go to the Coyotes in Arizona. How do we do over there? Eh, not as well. We end up losing 3-1. Carl Haglin with a goal to tie it in the second, but they proved to be too strong in the third, scoring two goals, including an empty netter. And finally, we went to the Vegas Golden Knights. Won the cup there two seasons ago. Maybe that helps us get some momentum, get right. Not at all. Down 3-0 after two, and honestly, it could have been more. The Vegas Knights played very, very well. But uh, we managed to get the last two goals of the game, so that's a little something. And uh, Oshie actually got both of them. So Oshie's been on a bit of a tear. Uh, Four goals in the last three games. We missed Evgeny Kuznetsov for all three games. He is back tonight versus Montreal, along with another player, Brendan Dillon, who we just traded for. And he's a 6'4", 225-pound defenseman. That is 16 stone for those of you looking for that conversion. You're welcome. His stone could have a sweet 16. He's probably going to play alongside Dmitry Orlov in that second line. The Caps have a very busy schedule this coming week. They play against the Canadians tonight. It's Thursday. They play at New Jersey Saturday. And a back-to-back, they got Pittsburgh at home on Sunday. The Winnipeg Jets on Tuesday. And then they go to Winnipeg on Thursday. Moving on to basketball, the Wizards, off week, you know, that's the only way they were going to be stopped after going 3-1 and one last week, so, you know, NBA, good job, you managed to ruin all our momentum, however, Davis Bertans three-point contest, 26 points in the first round, managed to qualify for the championship round, 22 points there, it was actually a very exciting three-point shootout. Buddy Heald ended up winning it on the last Moneyball shot that he had over Devin Booker, 27-26. to The Wizards this week have the Cavs on Friday at Chicago Sunday. Milwaukee on Monday. Oh, that's going to be tough. The Milwaukee Madnesses. Yeah. 
And then we got the Nets on Wednesday. Moving to college basketball, your Maryland Terrapins are on a roll. And that's not an exaggeration. They've won nine in a row. They are now number seven in the country. A 67-60 win against Michigan State. They were down seven with 320 left on the road. That is so difficult in college basketball to win on the road, let alone at Michigan State. They're not a bad team, guys. They are not a bad team. Anthony Cowan Jr., senior for Maryland, scored Maryland's last 11 points. The score was 53-60, to Michigan State with 320 left. Final score, 67-60. Michigan State didn't score again, people. Tough W on the road for them. And then they took care of business at home against Northwestern, 76-67. Number one in the Big Ten with a 12-3 conference record, undefeated at home. And again, that nine-game win streak, they are looking really good. They got a tough schedule coming up. They got Ohio State on Sunday, and they're at Ohio State and at Minnesota Wednesday, which I actually think is an even bigger game because Minnesota's on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. So they're on the outside looking in right now, but who knows? That is a very tricky game for them. Again, they're undefeated at home. That road record's a little bit shakier, so we'll see what the Terps do there. Well, speaking of the road, your Georgetown Hoyas went to Indianapolis to face number 19 Butler this past Saturday. No Omer Yurtseven, their starting center, who averages a double-double, and no Mac McClung, their leading scorer at 16.5 points per game. So naturally, in typical college basketball fashion, they found a way to win that damn game. Powered by Lagos, Nigeria freshman Kudus Wahab, averaging just under 12 minutes a game, he gets 28 minutes and scores 11 points and adds 7 rebounds. However, he gets into early second half foul trouble. So where do they turn? How about Timothy Igoefe? Averaging around two and a half minutes per game, he played in only five games, the most being five minutes versus American University in December. Folks, that's a throwaway game, typically. You just schedule them because they're local. It's an easy win on the schedule. You get to play guys like Timothy Igoefe. The last time he played, one minute at Seton Hall, January 3rd, and he got two fouls in that one minute. So what does he do at Butler, at number 19 Butler? 12 minutes, has two huge putbacks late in the game. Those four points, five rebounds, Terrell Allen at point guard playing sensational basketball. 22 points, including four for four from three, just big shot after big shot. They win that game on the road 73-66 without those two guys, as mentioned. So all of a sudden, expectations for this Providence game. That happens on Wednesday night, huge. All the bracketologists saying, Georgetown, it's in your hands. You win that game, you're looking pretty good for this tournament. It's a chance to win three biggies games in a row since 2017. This program has been reeling relative to its history. And so here's the opportunity. And what happens? At home, Mac McClung returns. We lose by 10. Lose by 10. Season sweep for the Providence Friars. Friars, ridiculous. And they only attempted 12 threes. Georgetown only attempted 12 threes the whole game. Cleveland State averages 12 threes attempted per game. And that is dead last in the NCAA. I'm talking D3, D1, all of it. Georgetown just continues to Georgetown. However, it has been a incredible, an incredible season. It has been so ridiculous that it's actually our deep dive today, and so we'll get more into them as we go. But moving on to something nicer, your DC Defenders, 27-0 this past weekend. Cardale Jones, 
23 of 37 for 276 yards, two touchdowns, one pick. He's 13-0 as a starter since high school. Maybe he should have started a game in the NFL. Who knows? I don't know. Seems like he doesn't lose games. A pick six for the defense, a shutout for the defense. This defensive unit is special. Only 137 yards for the Guardians of New York. And the defenders had 384 total yards. That, my friends, is your State of the Union. So getting into the deep dive now, we have our first official guest on the podcast. He is right next to me. Um, what do you want to go by? Did you want me to say your name or did you have that handle you were talking about? Yeah, uh, this my name's Gerald Andriel, uh, big Hoyas fan, graduated about 10 years ago and have had season tickets ever since, probably made about 90% of the home games in that span. Okay, so like a truly committed fan. And this was while you were at the school as well? Yeah, yeah. So grew up uh, or came came of age as a Hoya fan watching Chris Wright and uh, Austin Freeman, you know, coming off the Final Four run in 2007, and the rest is history. All right, right on. Well, thanks for uh, being on the show. As you know, and as I know, we both make a number of games. Gerald, as he said, season ticket holder, made 90% of the games and, you know, continues to do so. It has been one hell of a run for the Hoyas this season, not just from a scheduling perspective, but in terms of the turmoil surrounding the program this season, it's been very eventful. You want to get into that a little bit? Yeah, I think um, this is year three of, of Pat Ewing's reign on back on the hilltop. Um, last year brought a lot of excitement with the great freshman class and, and coming into the season, especially with the preseason trip to the Bahamas. It really looked like the team was coming together. Um, some of those freshmen from last year led by the reigning Big East player freshman of the year, uh, James Akinjo, were looking to take the next step forward. We had a graduate transfer, Omar Yurt Seven, who had been a a, a real good center at North Carolina State and now had over a year of tutelage from Pat Ewing, one of the best centers of all time. Um, And for the first time in the Ewing era, people were really excited about the non-conference schedule and felt that if the team lived up to expectations you know we could see top 25 appearances and and, you know really the expectation coming into the season was to make it back to the NCAA tournament yeah and to speak to that non-conference schedule we're talking about Texas Duke Oklahoma State SMU these are big time and of of course Syracuse you know always a big game that we get up for these are big time opponents uh even early on we didn't know how good Penn State would be but Penn State was a non-conference opponent this year and they're ranked number nine right now. So, you know, we are making strides as a program to get better. But again, that turmoil, all of a sudden, we have a lot of roster turnover. Do you want to get into that a little bit? Yeah. And I mean, even taking a step back from that, the, the turmoil was there from from before the ball even tipped. Um, folks showed up to the home, first home game versus Mount St. Mary's. Uh, Josh LeBlanc, one of the promising sophomores, was was in a suit. Um, wasn't injured and a vague explanation from from coach Ewing that he he had some sort of team violation and was missing that game uh Hoyas are down about 15 or 16 at halftime to Mount St. Mary um do not look good at all not making shots not playing well as a team um something you know they turned it around and ended up winning that game had a great second half um, then the next game, LeBlanc's there, but he's not starting. This is a guy who was 
a great six man off the bench last year, but with his versatility and especially some of the other positions that, that we had at, at, at guard and, and the need for some size around yard seven, um, folks certainly expected him to start. And so there were all these questions piling up those first couple games. Yeah. Um, and, and then, like you said, I mean, we come out, Penn State was really the first power five game on the conference at home. Um, being the D.C. area, Penn State, huge alumni base, you, there were a ton of away fans there. Um, it was a pretty good atmosphere. Unfortunately, I think the Hoyas went down about 18 points right Something off the like get-go. That. that was a rough game. It was, that. It, was, it was terrible, um, and, and it really felt like a punch in the mouth and, and you know, a real question of, well, is this, is this really our year? Um, you know, much like the theme of the season, ups and downs. You know, that we go up to New York, have a great game um, against Texas at MSG, pull out a win, get Duke the next night, and play well enough to win that game. Unfortunately, they had a six-man wearing black and white on <laughs> on the court there with them too and, and lose that. Um, but, yeah, really promising start. Come home, uh, have, a, have a, a week off for Thanksgiving, and then have a game against UNC Greensboro that, that you know, quality non non-power conference team but should be a win and the team just looks completely lost from the get-go um no chemistry akinjo's forcing shots um ewing's barking at him and and they end up losing and then you know i'll let you set the scene but but some stuff came out leading up to the 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 big non-conference road trip that the team had that uh, define the season. And so just to be clear as Hoyas fans, this isn't anything out of the ordinary for recent history. You know, we have our ups and downs. We end up playing close against Duke and beating Texas. And then all of a sudden losing to a Greensboro, these things happen and that's okay. It's early on in the season. It's Pat Ewing's, you know, it's one of his earliest seasons. And so we're just trying to figure out who we are as a team, what our identity is as a program. And then there are some sexual assault allegations put out against Galen Alexander Myron Gardner and possibly LeBlanc as well. I'm still a bit unclear on that. Yeah. So, so, you know, first and foremost, all of these, all of the charges, allegations, you know, everything, everything was resolved. So there's no pending, you know, these these are kids at the end of the day, you know, they're, they've got for the most part, good heads on their shoulders, you know, who, who knows what happened, but you know, they, they've moved on, the team's moved on. Um, But I mean, there was a, a 48, hour period there where it was just craziness so the actual timeline as as i recall is georgetown did you know an end of day news dump that james akinjo and josh leblanc were leaving the program that was it which was a bombshell for the program right we're talking big east freshman of the year james akinjo just the year before he actually willed us to victory in that mount st mary's game which you really shouldn't need someone to will you to victory against them but that's what happened and josh leblanc is a four-star recruit in, out of Louisiana. I mean, we're talking LSU wants him. Other great programs want him as well. We got him. James Akinjo. Damian Lillard loves James Akinjo. That's our guy. We're losing those two guys on top of what eventually we're going to get to, which is Myron Gardner, a three-star recruit out of Detroit, and Galen Alexander, a four-star recruit out of Louisiana as well. It's absurd that they had to go through all that early on. Yeah, it, it was it was crazy, and and so 
the, the university put that press release out and then for the next 24 hours or so there were there was all sorts of crazy internet rumors right there was talk of of some lists being passed around campus with uh the you know some of the basketball players on that list and you know nobody said exactly what the list was was for but you know in this day and age you kind of put two and two together and then um i think actually one of the the many lawyer commenters on casual hoya had you know some foresight to to do some digging into publicly available records and found that there were two separate complaints filed um one against galen alexander and one against myron gardner who who at this point you know Alexander was a, a transfer coming into the program role player. Um, Gardner had actually played for the first time, I think, in that UNC Greensboro game, but, you know, more of a future project, you know, depth guy. Um, both, you know, to that point, relatively unknowns to, to Hoya fans. Um, and LeBlanc is is mentioned in, in, in some sense. I think in one of them, he might have been named as a, you know, a, alleged perpetrator and another it was just that he was basically standing there um in any sense this all comes out leading up to the team's big road trip to oklahoma state they show up at oklahoma state gardner and alexander actually play you know they're they're dressed they contribute um akinjo and leblanc are a hundred percent out of the picture at this point um and at some point leading up to that the university put in put out a second press release saying that they're not the university would not comment on the on an ongoing uh, investigation by the police. This is a, a private matter for the students, and they also clarified that James Akinjo's not under any sort of investigation under the school or not. Um, basically, leading everybody to conclude that there were just some basketball differences between him and Coach Ewing, which it it'll come it came out that there were. <laughs> um, but then Gardner and Alexander are playing. Um, McClung scores 33 points, and, and the Hoyas pull off a, a win in, in a really tough place to play down there in Stillwater um, and, and a nationally ranked team at the time. And they continue that run on to SMU. The whole time, though, there are um, national media folks uh, covering the, the Georgetown team and, and saying, how can you play these guys when, when they're under investigation? Um, the team gets back to campus, and at some point, the president of the university, John DeJoya, is presented with a letter signed by 60 or 70 tenured faculty that, that they are staunch, staunch, staunchly against this um, and, and want to see some more equal standards to the basketball team. Um, not surprising, leading up to the next game, the, the university announces that Alexander and Gardner are, are transferring. Um, and m most of the, the interviews that they've done after the, have suggested that, or Instagram posts, I guess, yeah. or modern day interviews, <laughs> um, but suggesting, you know, they just felt like all eyes were on them and not in a good way when they walked around campus. Right. And so that's what ends up happening is we end up losing four players. And, you know, the circumstances, of course, are bad and all alleged and everything's, you know, cleared up now and done. But yeah, that left the program in a very interesting position. And funnily enough, they responded very well to the adversity. They ended up winning, I believe, about six in a row heading into the Big East schedule. And so people had this sense of optimism that, hey, maybe we still are on track, despite the fact that we only have seven scholarship players now. Yeah, so so leaning into the Big East, um, 
last game at home before the the opener at Providence. Um, it was against American, and, and they were in control at some point in that game. I forget if it was the first or second half, but McClung had a fast break and got poked in the eye or hit by by an American player and ended up not not returning. He he shot free throws right after with uh, about I think half an eye. It's and his mamba mentality, baby. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then he's not, he doesn't show up for, for the Providence game and that he's not playing. Um, and they come out and just get demolished. It was I mean, close. it was 16, nothing. I think they cut it to 14 at one point, but, but it, it was not close at all. And so you've kind of come off this high of, of the team bonding together, um, and going on a little win streak. And then you just come out against, uh, you know, not one of the great teams of the Big East, uh, New Year's Eve, I think, you know, it's not not the biggest, toughest place to play. And it just looked like a night and day comparison between the two teams. Yeah. And so obviously getting off to that rough Big East start, they end up losing to Seton Hall as well. They finally do get a win against St. John's. And by finally, I mean, we're one and two at that point. So nothing, you know, too big, but the Big East is good this year. So Villanova's ranked, Creighton's ranked, Marquette's ranked, Seton Hall eventually is ranked again. Miles Powell for them was out for a little bit, so they lose their ranking, now they're right back up. So And Butler's ranked, of course, and Butler was a huge win, just skipping ahead down the line a bit. Butler was a huge win. No Omer Yurtseven, no Mac McClung. So now we're down to five scholarship players. And how are we going to the 19th ranked team in the nation and winning that game? That's the beauty of college basketball. It's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, and and all the credit to, to Coach Ewing on this. I mean, throughout the, the ups and downs of the season, he's kept the, the team together. And, and you know, I, I think that he has very high expectations for, for the way that his players carry themselves, um, the way they prepare for games, and, and definitely the toughness that, that they show on, on the court. Um, and I think that that's that's been really good because you know that starting five lineup that that when it was out there for for the Butler game because of course there was some more uncertainty with your seven status and he ends up not playing, but I mean there's two of those guys that you would expect to get significant minutes at all coming into the season. Three of them you wouldn't even expect to really see the court unless it was you know an up twenty down twenty situation. And they're they're in Hinky Hinkle Fieldhouse, tough place to play, um, somewhere where Georgetown has actually had a lot of success in in the new Big East. Um, but they they hang tough with a with a Butler team, and you know the referees weren't weren't doing us many favors at all. Um, but but you know Terrell Allen, who is a savior for for this 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 season. What I a mean, transfer he was! Yeah. Oh. A great, great point guard who has some NCAA tournament experience, um, and, and the ball just moves when it's with him, and, and he showed in that Butler game that he can actually score score some points as well. Yeah, and uh, actually, that was a blessing in disguise, because with James Akinjo, a brilliant guard, brilliant scoring guard, he can get his own bucket at any time, but with a guy like Terrell Allen, he enables the rest of the team. Our offensive efficiency went from 90th in the nation to 18th as recently as a week ago. And that's thanks to Terrell Allen, which I don't know. So I like Patrick Ewing a lot, but I don't know how much credit I give him for Terrell Allen playing because of the situation that occurred. What, where do you stand on that? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 tough to, to know how exactly it would have played out. I mean, certainly uh, Akinjo, I think if you sort by the, the minutes uh, per game for, for each guy, I mean, Akinjo's still up there. He was playing 30 of the 40 minutes. Um, and now obviously Allen's playing a lot. So 
I, I don't think that Allen would have, unless he forced his hand somehow, gotten a lot of run. And, and that's really been one of the, the criticisms of one of the, the few criticisms of Ewing this year is even with all of the, the turmoil and the turnover, you know, he's really um, he, he's kind of stubborn in, in his ways almost. I mean, recently, the, probably these last four or five games, uh, especially as Yurt Sevens had some health issues. We've seen Cutis Wahab, I mean, come in there and, and really change the game just from from some of the intensity and the size he brings defensively. I mean, Yurt Seven brings a, a he's he's critical to, to an offense, you know, very traditional center, great around the basket, uh, can actually shoot well for a big man for the mid range game and is really confident down there. Um, but defensively, he he's he's really been exposed, especially as as we got into the the Big East play and. You know, this is a physical league that's that's going to demand a lot. And so we would see Wahab come in and, and really alter shots. I think he had six blocks in, in uh, the DePaul game that's right, he uh, did. last weekend. And, you know, it, he he's improved a lot offensively. He's a tremendous free throw shooter, which is so rare for a freshman freshman center. Um, but... Ewing has has still kind of fallen back on well if Yurt Seven's healthy he's going to start and I think that that's one of the things to to your point you know it, who knows but it's likely that that we wouldn't really have seen Allen give as much as he could if Ikinjo was still here and so now moving forward past the Butler game loads of expectations entering the Providence game on Wednesday night and unfortunately just fell flat it was off to a great start Georgetown was off to a fantastic start. Mac McClung was a surprise active uh, entering the night, and he played eight minutes, unfortunately ends up getting hurt, only had the two free throws to contribute in terms of the score. Um, these Hoyas just can't really catch a break because you're at sevens out, McClung's out, McClung's finally back. Looks like he may have aggra- aggravated excuse me, that foot injury. So now we don't know if we have him for the Big East tournament. If we end up making the tournament, you know, God willing, then we may not have him there either. So... How can we speak to the resilience real quick of this Hoyas team this year? Because for me, it has been one of the most fun teams to watch in recent memory compared to the years before where you sometimes question the effort. It looks a bit stale. What do you think of this year's edition of the Georgetown Hoyas? Yeah, I I mean, I agree with everything you said. I mean, this really felt like it was the beginning of, you know, our team, Um, especially those last years of, of JT3. Um, recruiting really fell off. Ewing has has done night and day uh, to turn that around. They just got uh, a commitment today from from another four star. I think they've got you Kobe know a Clark, top yeah. a top forty class coming into next year. But those first couple years under Ewing, I mean, there were there were grad transfers everywhere. You know, one and done guys. Like thank God for Greg Malinowski, who is actually still contributing to the team and, and helping them out in practice. He's got a new right hairdo now, as just, well. Yeah, yeah, now just for numbers, but. You know, it was really a different team each each year, and and you know Jesse Govan was so critical to, to everything that the team did, and and you know love Jesse, he he was great to watch, you know great Hoya, but um, you know certainly having Wahab and even Yurtsevin bring a little more at, as a complete package than than Jesse could offer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you surround that with you know the second of of you know, hopefully four years for Kinjo McClung and, and, and LeBlanc. I mean, maybe one of them would have pulled a Hollis Thompson and, and <laughs> oh, left, left the hilltop early. But uh, you'd like to think that those guys were were going to gel and, and really be be the class that kind of 
bring us back to to uh the national forefront kind of like that uh really thompson's last class uh led by otto porter trowick whittington and, and then that kind of once Otto left, Whittington was nowhere to be found, and then we got to where we are now. And that's sort of where it is. So now looking at the rest of this season, now it's a resilient bunch, but it looks like they sort of ran out of gas against Providence. There are five Big East games remaining, three against ranked opponents, two of those on the road. We need to win, it looks like, according to various bracketologists, to make our first tournament in five seasons. Okay, Now that's a long time for a storied program like Georgetown. We need to win about three of those. Do you see that happening? Yeah, I mean, three three at least. And, and you know, I, I know the rankings jump out on paper, but this is probably one of the best DePaul teams in, in years and gave us a really tough game at home. Um, and last year, actually, the Hoyas were in a very similar position and had an end-of-season midweek game out, out. I don't even – they don't play at the United Center, but wherever DePaul plays in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. and, and they lost that game but then rebounded to, to win the last game of the Big East – at Marquette, which at the time, you know, was kind of this, this hope that we'd make the tournament. Then obviously they lose in the Big East tournament to St. John's and then lose at home to Harvard. So hopefully we, we can, can go that other direction. But gosh, I mean, it's tough. I, I think maybe the right combination of two wins there, you know, you win at, at Marquette, beat Villanova to close the season out at home, get another big east win in the tournament maybe two you know that could work um but i'm pretty confident that they'll win either two or three of these those games sure. uh it's just keep tough us to know. interested yeah. it's just tough to know what what side of the coin will, will come up and i mean especially with with the the depth issues and and some of the injuries you know gosh if if we had a, a injury to either jagan mosley or, or javon blair oh, i mean, I mean it would it would just else. Or Allen, that that would be be the worst. I mean, we're really getting we're really lacking depth in the backcourt right now. I feel like this is one of those situations where we're so depleted that you know when you're playing a video game and you've lost two or three guys to injury and the you know the CPU basically uh, just does not allow you any more injuries. It's literally impossible for anyone to get injured anymore. I feel like the Hoyas are in that situation right now where surely something has to go their way. What is your prediction for the rest of the season? Do you see them making the NCAA tournament, or do you see them maybe going in the NIT, which is just below the NCAA tournament for those not familiar? You know, I'll I'll, I'll make a bold prediction and say I think they'll defend the home court here in the district, uh, beat Villanova to close the season, get a quality win against Xavier in, in I think, about 10 days. Um and they'll win one of these games on the road. So you're talking at Creighton, at DePaul, at Marquette. You know, certainly those ranked teams would, would do a huge, huge push. Um, the Big East with the, the talent it has at the top and, and even the, the quality at the back. I mean, St. John's isn't terrible this year. It, it, it's going to be really tough to say where the Hoyas shake out in terms of having that first first day bye in the tournament, which for a team with no depth is, is huge. I mean, it would be great to finish in, in the top six of the conference. I, I saw something on Twitter where uh, one one Hoya fan was like, well, why don't we just forfeit the DePaul game just to give these guys some rest? It's absolutely ridiculous what's going on, but every game's a must-have. I could I could see that. I could definitely see us um, you know, protecting home court. The guys seem up for it. Every single time they look down and out, they find a way to respond. I think they need another Big East win, like you're saying, in the tournament. 
But uh, yeah, I could see it. I think it's going to be a very, very interesting selection Sunday where it legitimately to us Hoyas fans feels 50-50. I expect us to win the DePaul game and Xavier game. I do expect to take one more out of the ranked opponents, whether it's Marquette, Creighton, or Villanova. I don't know which one. And then I expect a Big East win in the tournament, and it is going to be a bonkers selection Sunday. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I, I'm nodding along. I, I think that they position themselves pretty well if it plays out the, the way that, that you just forecasted. So, um, you know, fingers crossed. If, if you guys are in the D.C. area, you know, certainly come out and, and support the Hoyas. Um, it, it, it really makes a difference. Um, we were just talking to some folks yesterday who said, you know, it's kind of gotten out that, if you call a timeout after a big Hoyas run, you're you're gonna deflate the the, the arena, and you know that's because there's 4,500, 5,000 people there. So, um, get tickets. You know, reach out to Ahmed or I. It's 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 you, you talk to people who who are fans, and, and and they'll get you out. It's it's a it's a great great program, and, and these kids deserve all the support. Absolutely, especially this season amongst all the other ones. And again, those two home games are against Xavier and Villanova. Sunday, March 1st against Xavier at 2 p.m. And then Saturday, March 7th against Villanova at noon. A perfect thing to do on a Saturday, honestly. Get drunk, go to the game, just have yourself a good time. They have more tickets than they know what to do with. It's a fantastic atmosphere. You get lower bowl, no problem. Gerald, thanks so much for being our very first guest on the podcast. And he is just a walking encyclopedia on Georgetown Hoya basketball. Well, appreciate appreciate you having me on, Amit. You know, proud proud to be the first guest, and we'll we'll definitely look forward to how how coming back and talking about the Hoyas run in the uh, March Madness. Oh, if that ends up happening, then we're definitely preview. We're gonna just do an entire episode on just the Hoyas, and we'll see how delusional we'll get. We'll have a couple drinks and see what happens. Thanks again, Gerald. Appreciate it. Thanks, Amit. So moving on to our final segment of the day, my DC Mount Rushmore. Once again, here are the rules. Four players, one from each sport in DC, and I guess that's pretty much it. Pretty easy rules. (laughs) So let's go ahead and start with baseball. Anthony Rendon has to be my guy on my DC Mount Rushmore. We have Steven Strasburg, honorable mention for sure. Max Scherzer's been incredible. Juan Soto was phenomenal this year. Absolutely phenomenal this year. But the number of times the Nationals have been in the postseason and had hot bats entering, and then they've just gone flat, right? They just disappear. The pitching has never been the issue. The bats in the postseason have somehow disappeared. But Anthony Rendon, Tony, two bags, was incredible. He was very calm, relaxed. You could tell that that energy was transferred to his teammates as well. I think he was the true leader of the team. Shout out Para as well. Um, you know, Baby Shark and all. But Anthony Rendon had huge hit after huge hit. In the Dodgers game, for example, he had the home run and Soto followed right after. He was consistently the catalyst this past postseason. And that's the reason that DC has a title. Now moving on to hockey, I think it's fairly obvious. It's the grade eight. It's Alexander Ovechkin. He's still at 698 goals. Hopefully not because we started this podcast. I think he's been a bit dry recently, uh, but I think that'll change. He, he'll get to 700. He is DC. He is the Washington Capitals. We rebranded when we drafted him. He is the ultimate competitor 
and he has given absolutely everything to this city. How could he not be on my DC Mount Rushmore? Nobody else even comes close. I remember growing up with Peter Bondra, Steve Kona-Walchuk, you know, guys like that, Ole Kolzig. I mean, he's honestly an honorable mention, Braden Holpe as well. But Alexander Ovechkin gets everyone out of their seats. He is an unbelievable player, and I'm so thankful that he is a part of DC Sports. Moving on to basketball, who else is it going to be? I think people are thinking John Wall, but no. In my lifetime, Agent Zero, Hibachi, Gilbert Arenas. Big shot after big shot. Gilbert Arenas is what made me want to go out and play basketball every day. Now, I suck at basketball. But I'd still do it. I would still go play. I would still, you know, yell hibachi. I would still pull up from three. It didn't matter. Everyone in this city growing up was just shooting threes because they just all wanted to be like Gilbert. It was so exciting to watch the Wizards when he was involved. Now, I mean, on the court, off the court, all that stuff. Uh, Yeah, he's an interesting character. But Gilbert Arenas comes back to DC on, I believe it's July 11th with the big three. You bet your ass I'm going to be there. He was one of my idols growing up in terms of just DC, like, sports figures. He was just amazing. And every game was exciting because of him. With three minutes left, the offense was he would just dribble up and shoot it, and it would go in. And that was just so exciting, knowing we had that kind of player. Now, the last person on the list... I still remember the day he passed away. Sean Taylor. Number 21, originally number 36, Washington Redskins. He was going to be the best safety of all time, in my opinion. I am biased, but everyone everyone was sort of on the same page there, league-wide. A lot of fans knew. He was playing safety with 4-3-4-4 speed, which is already pretty quick for a safety, but he was also had a linebacker build. I've never seen so many wide receivers take a business decision. In fact... The first time I ever saw a business decision, I didn't even know what that meant. Todd Pinkston was open on a deep post, and Sean Taylor ended up tracking him so quickly that Pinkston actually pulled his arms in. They called him alligator arms, and he pulled his arms in because he did not want to get hit. And I was like, why would you not catch that ball? It doesn't make sense to me. It literally, that blew my mind. Sean Taylor's impact on the game actually forced grown men to say, nah, I don't want to catch that ball. T.O. would intentionally run out of bounds. We hadn't seen that before. He would also sometimes pull away from catching a ball. The level of respect people had for Sean Taylor and the playmaking ability of Sean Taylor is what puts him in my Mount Rushmore. It's not the fact that he passed away. He legitimately was the best player I've ever seen in a Washington Redskins uniform. That includes rookie year RG3. Rookie year RG3 maybe had more of an impact because it's such a quarterback-driven league. But Sean Taylor is that dude. Okay, that jersey is retired. Like, no one is... I'm not sure we're going to see another Sean Taylor like that. Derwin James maybe comes a little bit close. No one likes Sean Taylor. And that's it. That's my DC Mount Rushmore, and that's the episode. So once again, Anthony Rendon, Tony Two Bags. We have Alexander Ovechkin, the grade eight. Gilbert Arenas, Hibachi, Agent Zero. And Sean Taylor, 21, RIP. Still love that man. He's, wow. Wow. But yeah, anyway, thanks for listening. And um, hope to catch you guys next week. Polly Polo, take us out. I spent my whole damn life in the city. Anywhere I go, DC's coming with me. I
spent my whole damn life in the city. I could go for broke, but the cap.